I wish I could say it was something cool, like I was breaking a wall or kicking down a tree, but the truth is I got my foot stuck in the foam mats on the floor. And so I stand here as a man totally humbled by foam mats. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your word. We thank and praise you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you that you are sovereign over your creation, that you have made us and you have called us to know you. We ask this day, Father, as you speak to us, help us to hear you clearly, that in the face of hopelessness, in the face of sadness, in the face of often times where we feel you have abandoned us, help us to know where we should go and to remember your good promises to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever lived without hope? Have you ever lived without hope? I don't think there is a sadder situation than to find a person that has no hope. Just this week I was ministering to a man, and as I was ministering to him, and I have been over quite a long period of time this year, he, his whole story, his whole situation in life, it just appears hopeless. He's estranged from family, he's got financial difficulties, he's feeling miserable and sad and all alone. And as he sat there and we sat and talked together about the situation, there was just nothing I could think of offering him. We'd spoken about the situation, I didn't see a way out. We'd spoken about what's happening with life and I just didn't see a way out for him. And I have never sat with a person and felt so hopeless. And I wondered where we should go. What should we do? What would you do? What would be your answer? Now today we're going through and we're looking at a series of confrontations in this passage. That's really what is going on in this passage. There is a series of confrontations. And by the end, we get to a place where Israel and even Moses feel no hope. They feel like the situation's lost. Pharaoh looks to have won. And we're going to see what God does in the face of hopelessness. Now, so far in the story, we've seen that Moses was born and his life was under threat. And because of the actions of midwives and of his mother, God saves Moses, has him drawn out, and he ends up being in Pharaoh's family, the very man who commanded his death. He now lives under his, free, uh, under his security, under his safety in his own house. And then Moses grows up and he comes to see the plight of the Israel, Israelites. And he sees their problem, and, t- and then in seeing their problem, he seeks to help them. He seeks to save them and he kills an Egyptian and it ends up driving him out of Egypt. He is powerless to save Israel through his own power. And then while he's in and away and he goes old and uh, comes to know Jephro and marries one of Jephro's daughters, in this land far away, growing old, all of a sudden God appears to him and speaks to him and sends him back to Egypt to deliver Uh, his people and he sends him with this message and today we see that Moses is going to go back 
And as Moses goes back, we see these confrontations between him and God, him and Pharaoh, and ultimately Pharaoh, uh, Moses and God. And so we're going to start by series the first confrontation that we see in this whole section. And that first confrontation is that Moses uh, is, or God confronts Moses. And we see that happening in verse 21 through to 23 as Moses is returning back to Egypt. Now, after speaking to God on the mountain, Moses prepares to return to Egypt. He grabs his staff. And then we get this final bit of information that Yahweh has told Moses. We read in verse 21 through 23. The Lord instructed Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure you do uh, before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put, that I have put within your power. But I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. Look, I am about to kill your firstborn son. Now, this piece of information comes as an extension of what God has previously spoken to Moses in chapter 3. There, God tells Moses that Pharaoh is not going to give in so easily. That Pharaoh will resist God's command to let the Hebrews go. But in this section, we are given more information about how that will take place. We are given the reason why Pharaoh won't initially listen to Moses. God will harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh will not listen to God's command, nor to see the plight of the Hebrews, his slave labourers. Which leaves us with many of a question as to why would God do this? Is it fair for God to do this? Is it fair for God to harden uh, Pharaoh's heart? Does that mean Pharaoh is not responsible what is the interplay, and this is how the question often works out in our mindset, what is the interplay between God's sovereignty and human responsibility? Now, the Bible makes clear that God is sovereign over everything and that his sovereignty never undermines human responsibility. In fact, in God's sovereignty, he makes humans responsible for their actions. And though God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it is still Pharaoh's heart. God holds Pharaoh responsible for the way he will act and the way he will live. Pharaoh has lived in complete opposition to God and treated the Israelites woefully throughout his life. The, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is a hardening against listening to God's command and letting Israel go. It is something that Pharaoh has always done. We can look at this one place and say, well, that's unfair. How could God do this? But Pharaoh's life has been one of constant rebellion against God. He has always lived in opposition to God. God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart is in line with what Pharaoh already desires. That's the first thing to recognise. God's hardening of his heart is in line with what Pharaoh has already been doing. But this is also where we are to remember the sovereignty of God. There is an element to this I think that none of us like. And it is that 
God is sovereign over all his creation. And because God is sovereign, he is free to do as he chooses within his creation. God is just, God is free, God is powerful and God will do as he pleases. He is in control, not us. And God in his sovereignty, he has chosen to harden Pharaoh's heart to achieve his own good purposes. And God has every right to do that. But here's the thing we must remember. God in his sovereignty always will act rightly. He will never do anything unjust. That is, he will never act against his own good nature. God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart is in line with Pharaoh's own character and it serves God's purposes to display his good and glorious name in creation. God's sovereignty never undermines Pharaoh's responsibility for his actions. Here is the important thing to know, and we must never forget this. God's sovereignty never negates our responsibility because God in his sovereignty makes us responsible. The thing that I certainly don't fully know or ever understand about God himself is how his power works. And I might not be capable of that. And that is okay. Because I don't understand everything about God doesn't make God unjust. It's just an aspect that I do not know. But I do know that God is good. And I do know that God is just. And I'll trust God in his goodness and in his justice. But as I remember that, I also must remember that God is free to act within his creation as he wants, as far as it is in line with his own good and just character and nature. God will never act unrighteously, even if we don't always understand how he uses his own power. And we might not like that, but we must always recognise this, that we live at the mercy and grace of a good and just God. So as a brief recap of just this God hardening Pharaoh's heart, God's sovereignty never negates man's responsibility before God. And God will always act in line with his own righteous character. But this leads us to the third point which comes out in verses 21 and 23. We should never presume on God's grace. Did you notice that God identifies with the nation of Israel as his own firstborn son? The way Pharaoh treats Israel is taken personally by God and God will respond in kind as he judges Pharaoh by taking his firstborn son. A central feature of the gospel is the necessity of God's judgment. God will judge people for the way they relate to him and their actions uh, and for their actions in their in the world. Christians sometimes like to downplay God's judgment when speaking about the gospel. But when we do, we ultimately undermine our own gospel preaching. The Christian message of salvation is a message of salvation from the power and might of God's judgment. The great news of Jesus is that we can approach him as 
God's children. We cannot be and go into the very throne room of God despite what we deserve, despite our sinfulness. God is a just, but God is a just God. And this comes out in a little strange incident with Moses and Zipporah. On the way back to Egypt, they, God confronts Moses and he seeks to kill Gershom, Moses' firstborn son. Now what's going on here seems related to this extra bit of information that we find out about God's instructions to Moses because God has said he's going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. As God confronts Moses to kill Moses' firstborn son, we see what is something that is very, very important. And as I was reading the commentaries about this passage, I came across this wonderful line. Biblical scholars love this passage because it is totally incomprehensible. When people come to this passage, when people come to a passage that is hard to understand, then people love to make up what they think the passage is saying because it is comprehensible, that it's hard to understand. Certainly when we were talking about it in staff meeting this week, it had us all scratching our heads. And Joe and Dave did and said what we always say when we come to a difficult passage, can't wait to hear what you've got to say about it on Sunday, which is a lot polite way for, of us, uh, a polite way for us to say to each other, better you than me. There are certainly plenty of questions about this passage and reading things in context but when we're doing things in context, I think this passage is acknowledging the reality of who God is and our need to treat him as God, as a holy and righteous God. Our holy God has met Moses in the bush and told him that he is God and that Moses is going to go into Israel and that God will deliver Israel with a strong and mighty arm, that God is powerful and he can do it. And in the process of doing this, he has specifically said to Moses that he is going to judge Pharaoh for his disobedience. And he's going to do that by putting Pharaoh's firstborn son to death. And there is a special significance in God's judgment against the firstborn sons. And we'll come and deal with that when we come to that passage in a couple of weeks. But the important point here for us is God is sending Moses to deliver his people at God's command and he is going to judge Pharaoh for not obeying that command and Moses knows that yet at the same time that Moses knows, knows that Moses is not obeying God's command in not circumcising his own firstborn son wait you're going to go to Pharaoh and command Pharaoh at the word of God to obey, yet you, Moses, are not obeying God's word. God's word is serious. Moses is being disobedient to God. And if Moses is not going to listen to God, why should Pharaoh? Moses has been given a special word to take to Pharaoh. He himself better be willing to obey God's word when it concerns him. God has saved us through the death of Jesus. We should be extremely thankful for that. That is wonderful news. Yet whilst recognising this great promise of God, 
we must never forget that though we can freely approach this great and wonderful and merciful God, that he is also both holy and just. He is always holy. He is always good. He is always righteous. We should never forget that about God. And though we have this great mercy from God, we should also heed the warnings to not be disobedient. If we know God's word, then we should not we be obedient to that word? It's very important that we don't live in hypocrisy. God is inviting us to know him. That is a big point of Exodus, of the whole book. God is inviting us to come and know the unknown God. And this will certainly play out when Moses confronts Pharaoh with his word. But when Moses tells Pharaoh what God wants, Pharaoh, whether he understands it or not, he is confronting the unknown God. And he unknowingly confronts God. He unknowingly confronts this holy God. But we don't do so unknowingly. Let us be wise and listen. And so that's the first point in this first confrontation. We confront a holy and good and just God who has saved us, who is delivering us. Let us listen carefully to him and be willing to obey his word ourselves. Now, the second point is, as we come to the confrontation of Moses confronting Pharaoh, the reality is what Pharaoh is about to do is unknowingly confront God. And he will do so in a battle of words. This is what chapter 5 is really about. It is a battle of words. It's a battle of the gods. Pharaoh is going to act like God and he's going to make his commands, yet he is doing so in response to God's word, God's command. So when Moses gets to Egypt, he, he does what God tells him. He goes and visits and addresses the elders of Israel and commands and does all the things that God commands. And things go well. All oh, right, this is great. The people listened to Moses and Aaron, and we read, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their, their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshipped. And you read that and you go, great, things seem to be going well. Everything is going to, according to God's command. And that is the truth. Everything is going according to God's command and his word. But what did God say to Moses when he would go into Egypt? Pharaoh will not listen to you. The people have believed Moses, despite not knowing Moses, because don't forget, Moses has been away, but they believe the signs that God had given and they think, well, this must be the time that God has come to deliver them from their slavery. But Moses has left out a key piece of information, it seems, because God has told Moses, Pharaoh is not going to let you go initially. And so Moses goes in and approaches and confronts Pharaoh and he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And you read that and you think, wow, Pharaoh, uh, Moses is being bold. Mer Moses is confronting 
Pharaoh with the word of God. Good on you, Moses. That's what you should do. And then you think about it again and you realise, wait a second, this is not what God had originally told Moses to say at all. It is different from what God had said. Because you can go back and read God's original word to Moses. This is what he was to say to Pharaoh. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. There are three big differences that Moses makes in his statement. The first is God calls himself the God of the Hebrews. But here, as Moses goes and confronts Pharaoh, he calls him the God of Israel. And you go, what's the difference? The word Hebrew means labourer. It means worker. But Moses calls the people of Israel, Israel. He refers to them as a nation. And what it does is it sets up this distinction of, of the people separate to the people of Egypt. It makes them seem like a threat to Egypt. It creates distance between Pharaoh and the people, making them just a little bit more threatening. Something that will be important in terms of Pharaoh's reaction. When he says the people are numerous, there is a threat that is implicit in uh, Moses' command that was not there in God's original command. Secondly, he tells Pharaoh that they are going out to a feast. Now, when God had spoken to Moses, he has specifically said they were going out to sacrifice to Yahweh. Why Moses calls it a feast and not an act of worship, I, I do not know. But it does give the impression that the people are not working hard and that they have the energy to go out and enjoy life, to have a feast, to have a festival, to have a good time. And I assume that Pharaoh understood it as a religious feast, but nonetheless, it sounds like the Hebrews have an excess use of energy to use. Well, if they have excess energy... I'm going to use it. And thirdly, and this is something that's really rebuked me this week, the tone of Moses when he originally goes in is just rude. You can see he does not use the word please, which is specifically in God's command. God's command to Pharaoh, it is more diplomatic. Uh, diplomatic. He just says please and asks permission of Pharaoh and uses that word. I know when my children come and say, please, I'm just more likely to do what they say. It's not that I don't care about my children. It's just when somebody makes a demand of me, I'm more like, hmm, no. Are you any different? No, we're all the same. Now, should, God, uh, should Pharaoh listen to God? Of course. Does it really make any difference the way if God commands something? Please jump over this chair. Sure. Jump over the chair. Okay, one sounds nice, one sounds a little harsh. It doesn't matter if God says it and he says, jump, what should you say? How high? God's command rules. But there is just a diplomacy in the way you should do things. And Moses doesn't use it. 
Now, do I think it would have made a difference to how Pharaoh would have responded? No, not at all. Pharaoh was going to do this, but it's beside the point. If, Me if Moses thinks Pharaoh should obey God's command, then you would at least think he should deliver that command as it's been given to him. And that is really a lot of what is going on here. Are you going to listen to God at his word? Are you going to take God's word seriously? Now, we are the people of the word. We are God's representative and his ambassadors in the world. God sends us out with this wonderful gospel message. And it is the world's greatest message. We have something more wonderful, more precious, more special than anything in all the world. We are sent to deliver God's word of salvation to all of his creation. Let's make extra effort to make sure we deliver that word as it has been delivered to us. In all its greatness, in all its glory, with all its difficulties, because God's word is important. God's word matters. Now, Pharaoh, he responds as you'd expect. He says he will not let Israel go as he does not know Yahweh and he will not obey his voice. And it's very interesting. He says, I will not obey. Pharaoh's language is just defiant. Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? I will not obey who I do not know. It is a very typical human response to God. I will not obey God and I'll make up reasons why I should not obey. And we might be tempted to sympathise with Pharaoh. We might be tempted to say, yeah, it is true. He doesn't know God, so why should we expect him to know him? Why should we expect him to obey? And Moses' response sort of, it helps a bit because Moses says, as he was supposed to say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And then Pharaoh does another great garden thing. He adds to the word of God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or, sword, or with the sword. Now here Moses delivered the words as he was supposed to say earlier, though amazingly he still manages to get it wrong by adding to them. But it's a lot better than original. And here is the thing we need to notice. There is an implicit invitation for Pharaoh to get to know Yahweh God in this command. Pharaoh has already rejected that invitation when he says, who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, which is what God's name is. It is a personal name. And we need to take a step back and realise that. Dave did spoke about the meaning of God's name last week and it, and it was a really cracker sermon. I, I recommend you go back and listen to David's talk last week. But one of the things we've got to realise when God reveals his name it's, it's not just a name with a meaning, which it is, but it is also an invitation. When somebody tells you their name, they're actually inviting you to get to know them. The revelation of God's name to Pharaoh. He didn't do it to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, you noticed. 
But even to Pharaoh, God has revealed his name. And he's putting the invitation, the offer to Pharaoh to come to know him. Pharaoh could have said, I do not know Yahweh that I should obey him. Please tell me more about this God. But his answer is simply, no, I won't do it and I won't obey. And let's be even further, and I won't even try. And then he goes on and proceeds to make life tougher for for the Israelites. He proceeds to put in and add on his word. And Pharaoh deliberately apes the way Moses delivered God's word to him. And in parodying God, he doesn't understand that he is taking on God himself. That in mirroring God's own words, he is taking the place of God. And that's what chapter 5 is all about. Here is God's word. And Pharaoh goes, I will not obey God's word. I will put my word there instead. My word is more powerful than God's word. And it is something that leaders and people do all the time. This week, I saw in the, in the news in the UK, as it, I believe it is the case in New South Wales, it is illegally, it's illegal to silently pray outside an abortion clinic. But just this week, a woman in the UK was arrested for silently praying outside an abortion clinic. And you think, wow, that, that, that sounds horrible. But yet, now in the UK, people across London are screaming for the destruction of Israel with the phrase, from the river to the sea, which is a call for the destruction of the nation. So in London, one set of people are allowed to scream at the top of their voices for the destruction of Israel and the genocide of a people, and yet the UK police won't do anything about the calling for the killing of Jews, but if you pray silently outside an abortion clinic, you will be arrested. A society that is willing to use its state police to enforce that level of contradiction is an absolutely evil society. And that is what our leaders are like the world over. They are like Pharaoh. In disobeying God's word, they raise themselves up to be God. That is the West now. We are a society governed by evil rulers who are making laws in complete contradiction to God. I could have picked laws and problems from around the world, from plummeting fertility rates, and all this I read and heard this week, and just in passing, from plummeting fertility rates across the West, which are a direct result of same-sex marriage laws, to the effects of China's one-child policy and the absolute devastation that that policy is creating and has created in China, to the ramification of leaders enacting laws around euthanasia and anti-conversion policies. They are all contradicting God's word and they are all setting themselves unknowingly up as God and they are inflicting great evil upon our societies. And you could just go on and on. It is endless, the examples that are happening across the globe. And our question is, well, why do leaders and societies do this? Why do they make laws in rejection of God? Now, we might think, well, it's only because they don't know God's law. 
And so the solution might be to just to go in and show them the problem. And then once they see the problem, they will go up and praise God and we'll all run down the street hand in hand singing Kumbaya and everything will be great. We can think that. But the problem isn't that they don't know God's laws. That's not the problem. Here is the real problem. The real problem is that they don't want to know God's laws. They're not interested in knowing God's law. The real problem is the human heart is evil and it doesn't want to know God. That is the true heart of humanity. Our leaders, our societies are like Pharaoh. They don't want to know God. It's not that they don't know God. They don't want to know. And that is the second lesson we learn in this passage. When man rejects God's word, he actually takes on the God of the universe. And in so doing, we elevate ourselves to the place of God and destroy those around us. It is a foolish way to live, but that is what man does in his sin. So as Christians, how should we respond when we just keep seeing evil policies and their ramifications? After Pharaoh cracks down on the people and makes them work harder, the people then go and confront Moses. And they blame Moses for their predicament. They are afraid. They are brokenhearted. And there is a truth that says the people shouldn't be down. They shouldn't act that way. But at the same time, it is also very understandable and relatable. They are going through some terrible things. They are being oppressed. Their lives are in danger. They have come to Moses and, to, and Moses has come to them to deliver them. And instead of being delivered, they are in a worse situation. And so it is understandable that their spirits are broken. And Moses himself is totally disheartened at the situation. He is different to the people. The people first complain to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh for relief, but they find none there. Instead, in one of my favourite lines in the whole Bible... Pharaoh calls them slackers, you slackers. Okay, I love that translation. But then they go and whinge to Moses. And this is where we come to the third major confrontation in the passage. Moses go and, goes and confronts Yahweh for his, failing, for his supposed failings. And this is where we need to come to in the story and associate with the with the right people and the right group. We should not associate with Moses, but with the people. For how we should, so how should we respond when we feel let down? I don't think anyone at this point is really doing anything wrong. They're just looking at the situation and they don't see a way out. They feel crushed by their circumstances. And this is where I think God's answer to Moses is so helpful. And this is God's answer. He simply reaffirms his promises. God simply goes back and restates the promises he has already made to Moses about the people. Verse 6. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labour of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. 
you will know that I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of force from forced labour of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. That is God's answer to our doubt, to restate his promises to us. That is always God's answer to our doubt. No matter how bleak things look, we are always to go back to God's promises and trust his word. And it seems, and it is, such a simple answer. Trust God's promises. Go back to God's promises. And even as I was chatting to Trudy as we drove here today, she said something that was, I thought, very insightful and true. She said, yes, it is so easy, but it is so hard. And it can seem so hard to go back when things seem so bleak, when we feel God has abandoned us, when we think, how can I trust God in his word? But they have no other solution here, Moses and the Israelites. They have no other promises. The only place they can go, the only place they can look is back to God and his promises. And that's what God says to us. No matter how bleak, no matter how sad, no matter how hard things look, we are not to be hopeless. Why? Because we have the greatest hope. We have a God who has died for us, who has forgiven our sin and who has promised to bring us with him. He will not fail. Why? He is the Lord. He is sovereign over all creation. That is really what this whole passage is about. God is sovereign. He will do what he promises. He is just. He is righteous. You can depend upon him. The second thing is, we do fail. We are are sinful. We do not live. We do not trust God. We turn away from God. But even in our failures, even in our weaknesses, we are to remember and do as Moses did and we are to be reminded of the promises of God because God does not fail. What do we learn from these confrontations? God is sovereign. He is just. He is holy. He is good. Second, man's problem isn't that we don't know God. Man's problem is that we don't want to know God. But the third and most important thing for us to remember is when things seem all lost, when things seem at their bleakest, go back to the promises of God. Learn the promises of God because they are good and they will instruct us. I started this sermon talking about the man that I met this week and what to do in the face of hopelessness. And I didn't give you an answer. What did I do? When I had, and this is true, I didn't know what to say. So what did I say in the end? I told the man the gospel. I told him about the God who loves him and has sent his son to die for him. And I invited him to read God's word with me. Will he do so? I don't know. But in the face of hopelessness, I was able to give him the greatest hope. Let us pray. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is good, that your promises are sure because of who you are. Help us, Father, to keep going back to those good promises, remembering the good things that you have done for us, knowing that you will never forsake us or leave us because your word is sure, your character is true, and even though we, we might fail, you never will. And we thank you for this good knowledge to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.